Hello, everybody. Welcome back to No Country, to the Patreon exclusive. Thanks so much for joining us behind the Patreon paywall. My name is still J. David Osborne, and that is still Chris Sacknessum. Chris, doing all right? I'm excited because I just got a message from beyond, which I feel the need to share. Uh, are you uh, are you typing with your Ouija board set up next to it again? Because, you know, I think feel like we talked about this. Well, you know, it kind of actually I just moved a, a, a book and something fell out. Uh, but I, I like the, the idea of the world as message from beyond. I've always I was like that as a kid, you know, waiting for the school bus. If a, a piece of, of scrap paper blew by, I always thought it might be, you know, a message. And uh, I, I think mm-hmm. a lot of uh, writers and imaginative people have that. That, that sense but I was moving uh, one of the volumes of the Alexandria Quartet by Lawrence Durrell some people say Durrell I say Durrell and uh, it was the volume Justine and out of it fell a piece of paper that I swear I have never seen before and what's written on it is definitely not in my handwriting, and I don't recognize the handwriting whatsoever. It appears to be a little note uh, pad bit of paper, and it seems to have some reference to a Catholic church, uh, although that has been scratched as if a new address has been added. So I have no idea what. So this is not, as far as I know, a used book. I thought I bought the collection you uh, knew, you know, many many years ago. But it, and I don't think this is a quotation from the book. But I, I want to share it because there's an odd sense of surprise in in handwriting. I think today, just period, but handwriting that you are certain you've never seen before. So this is no ex girlfriend or no ex boss or you know whoever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But the quotation is. Truth lies in the microcosm of individual flesh, making all outward actions equally insufficiently true. Now, I have no idea about that. I mean, it is possible that that is a quotation from the the novel. Uh, His pro style is so intense i mean anything is possible i i think he was an amazing writer and and his stuff still remains astonishing to me but i don't know where that comes from and i certainly don't have any idea how it got into the book uh Mm -hmm. it just seems very very odd um but it, it did make me think that you know here is something surprising that just you know happens a little little message and in a way, you know, that happens all the time, doesn't it? There are messages, there are surprises that just zoom past us. We were talking in the, the uh, free-to-air episode about Malaysian Flight 370 and, and the, the great mystery of that. It is one of the great aviation mysteries of all time and a, a surprising mystery to happen in the modern age. Surprises are very, very... Sometimes we... We savor them, and sometimes we uh, fear them very, very deeply. So I thought I would um, 
I don't know. I just wanted to share that straight up. Uh, but before we get started, uh, I do want to remind oh. listeners that uh, we are carrying on our new tradition of putting David on the spot. With He's been given five new words to choose from. He has to use two of those somewhere along this segment as seamlessly and stealthily as possible. But your job is to try to find out to guess which of those, which two of the five, and uh, we're going to have some uh, some prize competitions every quarter hereafter. Okay, so that's my so, intro. So, uh, just really quick, um, I'm gonna do something just in in terms of of synchronicity. Um, the riff you just did about surprise reminds me of your sea turtle dream from last episode right yeah knowledge knowledge without surprise so i'm currently just to see if there's any kind of synchronicity uh i typed into google sea turtle justine and i'm just seeing a bunch of copies of the book how the turtle got its shell by justine fontes oh what so <laughs> so you know uh, <laughs> not 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 sure but i always find it uh prudent to um do this kind of pseudo mystical googling this is very much esotericism and mysticism for the 21st century um when you are given Things that connect. I recommend just Googling wildly with some combination of those words to see what comes up because at the very least you might find something weird. Apparently there are there are some YouTube videos here about painting sea turtles, um, some videos of sea turtles. There's a, oh, well here, there's a video of a sea turtle rodeo in the Solomon Islands. So that's pretty cool. That is um, very cool. Well, I look, I could not agree with with what you're saying. It is, a, a, and this will be an ongoing theme of ours. We have talked about the tarot, but we're going to look more deeply at all forms of, of divination and prophecy. And certainly for the 21st century, I think this the strange possibilities of random Googling, because you do start to, to pull threads and to connect things. I, I tell my students that when you look up, seriously really investigate the definition of any one word, you find just ripples in a pond and you go on this yeah. adventure. But I that reminds me, just out of the blue, without any real thought about it, as you do, I happened to do one of those random sort of Googlings on an ex of mine. And the, there were, if you <laughs> took the three weirdest points that can't come up on the first Google page, and they seem completely uh, randomized and uh, unrelated, but not for long. And there's this mm. strange sense of resonance. And it, it's quite odd how that works. It, I think it's, it's so entertaining in its possibilities for art. And I, I think for psychological explanation of, of, of how things work, how our associative patterns work, if nothing else, you know? Absolutely. And you speaking about 
the etymology of words and this is this is absolutely related to nothing but this is kind of the style right this is just sort of what what came to me and we will be getting to some really interesting thoughts that chris had uh, related to 370 here in a minute but um I was reading The Topology of Violence by Byung-Chul Han, who's quickly becoming one of my favorite modern philosophers. He's a, a German-Swiss-Korean uh, philosopher who wrote a book called Psychopolitics, which I think is required reading for understanding what's happening uh, in terms of the, 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 the subjects um, uh, turning surveillance in on themselves and becoming willing participants in an economy of dopamine exchange rather than, you know, actual capital. But anyway, in his book, The Topology of Violence, he says, uh, the Greeks called tavor- the Greeks called torture avakia, and avakia means necessary or indispensable. And I've been thinking about that for the past few days, that the Greek <laughs> word for torture was basically uh, an indispensable necessity, just a fact of life. Something to think about. Anyway, sorry for the completely random thing, but I thought that was cool. Well, as um, nothing is completely random, you know. That's mm-hmm. that's the underlying uh, proposition, I think, that we have to entertain. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. So on the topic of 370, we were getting to some pretty cool areas about this idea of surveillance and the idea that we're connected, whether it's by our phones uh, security cameras, radar, um, by our own volition, by you know, putting things into social media that we're all very, very much so watched. But what 370 does um, in a storytelling sense, in a mythological sense, is reintroduce the idea of being able to disappear, right? Of there being kind of gaps in the surveillance apparatus. Of things being able to be to fall into Don Lemon's black hole, which I really do like the idea of Don Lemon's black hole becoming a, a trail marker for No Country, right? You know, is this a Don Lemon black hole situation? Not, not, not entirely. Although he does deserve ridicule, you know, not entirely ridiculing that though. You know, it's almost seeing it as a as a rare moment of sort of uh, idiotic in the Deleuzian sense, uh, lucidity almost, right? Of like questions that news anchors should be able to ask. What, well, what if it fell into a black hole? Well done, what if? Let, let's examine. So I was wondering if you wanted to kind of go from there, from this idea of 370 as this sort of great allegory for uh, the, the ac- actual non-totality of the singularity that we're currently experiencing. Well, I certainly think that the uh, if we look at 370 in terms of uh, a, a media event and a, an allegory about the modern age in terms of a reflection or a series of reflections from the mainstream media, and I think it's pretty hard to avoid that aspect of the modern age. I, 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 I personally think that, that uh, as a student of mass communications, that those two ideas are so entwined that you couldn't have any sense of the modern age 
without the rapidly evolving uh, strangeness of, of mass communications. So that part of the appeal of that story is connected with the allegory of possible disappearance of things still remaining unknown, of there being a kind of Don Lemon's black hole idea where things just don't fit. Uh, and I, we look at this in terms of, of uh, you know, individual missing persons cases. That whole field has fascinated me for, for years, you know, possibly since my stepbrother's disappearance, uh, whether he mm. was presumed mm-hmm. dead or not. I mean, that's always, you know, on the cards with any missing person case, but certainly in his case. But it, uh, I've spoken with missing persons experts, you know, detectives who, who work in that line. And, you know, they say how, how difficult that really is to arrange and how the world is a very different place in terms of, of paper trails and data trails. And it is very uh, difficult to entirely disappear. You're, you're looking at someone with means, you're looking at someone with connections, and even in those shadowy worlds of, of international intelligence operatives or multi-billionaires, or, you know, it, it's still a tricky thing, isn't it? Because there are, are, you know, the night has a thousand eyes and, and Twitter has millions of them. And sooner or later, you know, old patterns reappear. So when something like a major wide-body jet with, you know, more than 200 people disappears... It is kind of, I mean, it's tragic, and I certainly don't mean to downplay that at all, and I know that you don't, David, but there is something uplifting about it. Uh, it that's, mm-hmm. that's ironic mm-hmm. about it, yeah. you know, a jet presumably crashing, but nonetheless, there is something about uh, the whole news story, and there is a lot of research that was done about this, about, you know, why people were... Concern, and there are multiple levels of connection. People do have empathy with the families of, of the lost. Uh, we do project ourselves into that jet and think, well, what would have been our last minutes like? Uh, would we have mm-hmm. been conscious? You know, all those sorts of things. But it's very hard to maintain that level of identification. But it's not hard to think, wow. Not everything is known, you know? Right, right, right. And something that you brought up to me in conversation was this idea of breaking news and how we have all of this technology to alert us to when something's going on. But, you know, if there's a serial killer loose in your neighborhood, there's going to be a slight delay. And that immediately brought to mind... um, a few weeks ago, I actually mentioned it on the podcast right after it happened, but my mother was visiting. So this wasn't weeks ago, actually. This was months ago because my son was only eight days old. I have what is known as baby brain, which means that time no longer has any meaning to me whatsoever. It could have been three months. It could have been 10 years. Who can really say? Anyhow, my son was eight days old and my mother was over helping us take care of the baby during the most taxing 
uh, moments when you're sort of awake all night because there is no sleep schedule. And when the baby is awake, the baby is almost certainly uh, hollering at the top of his lungs for food. Um, so we, I looked uh, on my radar and did not see any uh, bad weather event on the way. And yet we heard the sound of a freight train outside coming from the sky. And we opened the door like you do in Oklahoma. Uh, and we decided to look out. And of course it's 9:30 at night. It's, it's dark outside and the sound is rising in volume. It's, it's getting louder and louder as it gets closer. And I say, I close the door and I say, uh, mom, get away from the window and go to the bathroom, which is where you go when there's a tornado. Well, it turned out to be an incredibly severe hailstorm with hail softball sized that uh, completely totaled uh, the car that my grandmother left me after she passed away, uh, which I, you know, I got a nice check from Geico for it, but still hurt a little bit. There were a lot of memories. I would have liked to have preserved that car. But, um, you know, fast forward a few months after that, this would have probably been a month ago now, and I was at home by myself taking care of my son, and uh, I look outside, and the clouds have rolled in. It's almost dark as night outside, and I check my weather app. I don't know how many times a day I check my weather app, but I'm always looking. I want to know what the temperature is going to be, whether there's going to be high winds, storms, tornadoes, things of that nature. Well, I check my weather app, and there is a 0% chance of rain uh, and nothing but little smiling sun emojis for the entire day. So this cloud, this anomalous cloud that has completely blotted out the sun and dropped the temperature by about 15 degrees suddenly made me very concerned because it's not on anyone's radar. I'm frantically looking at Google and I'm trying to find it somewhere because if I can only find it, if I can just find one news item or one tweet about what's going on outside my door, I feel like I'll be comforted, but there there was nothing until after the fact. And it was just rain. It's a bit of an anticlimactic story. But that fear that I felt of not having any sort of digital assurance about what was going on was very remarkable and very 2021. You know, that just brought to mind a very, uh, I, and I, I wouldn't have thought of this uh, again without uh, your reminder, uh, but the difference between not just uh, global, international, national news versus the local situation, but the difference between looking out your door or your window and, and an automated feed of news I, uh, I was on photo safari uh, in Elko, Nevada, uh, where nobody's dreams come true. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Elko's, you know, probably fine. But I was wandering around, and I, I was, was, was downtown, and um, I did happen to notice that, that uh, I was outside of a radio station, but I, I didn't pay too much attention. And this amazing uh, thunderstorm came through and there was a double rainbow over the town. And nice. outside was this kind of 
Well, an Elko denizen, let's just say. He he really was from central casting. He looked like uh, the crazy prophet uh, out and just wandering the streets of Elko. But he had uh, a little portable radio with him, and he was very, very upset and was yelling at the doors of the radio station. And uh, I thought, oh, oh my. <laughs> well, I, I couldn't really avoid him because I, I didn't want to, you know, just turn around. And I thought, well, I'm kind of interested anyway. And he, he sees me because there's nobody else around because, you know, there was this pouring rain that had just come through. And he goes, do you hear this? Do you hear this? And I said, what are you talking about? He goes, the radio station is talking about it's perfectly sunny out. It's perfectly sunny out. All they have to do is look out the window and see that it's not true. All they have to do is just look out the window for one minute. And I thought, you know, oh, he's acting. Yeah. And they were, they were, right. they were still on the radio talking about, well, it's, it's all sunny today and we were having another, and we we're going to have good weather tomorrow. It's like, wait a minute. There, there was hail and thunder and lightning and there's a double rainbow, you idiots. So he was mm-hmm. right. He was right. It reminds me of a classic of American literature called the Berenstein Bears and Too Much TV, uh, which I read many times as a young man. And the Berenstein Bears in this particular um, book decide that they're going to go without TV for a week. And the children protest. They say, how are we going you know, to know uh, what's what's going on in the world? And Mama Bear says, well, that's not very important. But then Papa Bear says, um, you know, well, how am I supposed to know what the weather is? And Mama Bear opens the window to their treehouse and says, you know, it's called putting your hand outside and feeling if there's rain. There's some, there's, there's some kind of theme emerging here, a there disconnection is. theme, perhaps. Oh, you know, and I, I love those bears. I love those stories. I think they're just wonderful. And to go even just a little bit further off the trail before we, we, we always circle back there uh-huh. has been in just in the last day, there was a story about uh, a bear in Colorado who is <laughs> thought to have been breaking into car doors. Yeah, and and did you see there? There, you know, the the headline is "Make sure you lock your door," you know, because bears mm-hmm. don't know how to pick locks. And I thought, look, this is absolutely fantastic. This idea of, and, but I, so I read the story a little bit further. And of course, there was no photographic evidence of this bear. There were signs in the cars of rummaging, rummaging. That, mm-hmm. I love that as a mm-hmm. verb. I, I'm not sure what that actually means. No further right. details. But I, I looked down at the bottom of the story for the comments. And sure enough, I, I just had, I was hoping, I had a, I had an expectation, a, a little bit of a dream, and it came true. Somebody mm-hmm. had written in, how do we know it was a bear? Maybe the bear, <laughs> this bear, this mythic bear in quotation marks mm-hmm. is getting set up. It was probably some nasty kid. Some parent doesn't mm-hmm. want to take responsibility, and on and on it goes. And I just thought, yes. Yes. Yeah, that Blame it does on the cycle bear. back though. That does cycle back though, because what you were witnessing in real time was the creation of a myth and the surrounding argumentation 
so common in conspiracy theory circles, right? Exactly right. I mean, it doesn't matter if it's a missing Boeing 777 or a bear rummaging through someone's car. People will just immediately begin this amazing dance, right? Going back to our ideas of things like memory um, stemming from the interactions between people in their environment or people and people. Uh, I was actually talking to my mother last night. I was kind of going over some of the things that we talk about on No Country. She should just listen to the podcast but because she's fascinated in this kind of stuff too. But I was also talking about, you know, the different w- ways that that I act when I'm around different people. If I'm talking to you, I speak in a different way than if I'm talking to my buddy Steve or if I'm talking to my mother or whatever, you know, all these different ways that these branches of our of our different, you know, trees uh, sort of interact with each other. And in the conspiracy realm, it's this great thing where everybody who participates in the creation of a conspiracy stops being uh, who they are. They're no longer a father or a son or a daughter or a mother or a wage slave or a professional baseball player. No, no, no. They are they are in the Thunderdome. They're in the web of conspiracy making. And that's that's what I think all great storytelling really is. I think conspiracy communities, barring some of their, you know, troublesome uh, racial aspects at times, are just really beautiful examples of how uh, communities can 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 function, you know, which might seem like a crazy thing to say, but welcome to the No Country podcast. This is, we, we yeah. say wild stuff on I, here. Yeah. I mean, I, I sort of wonder, I mean... What do people expect as uh, the paradigm or model of, of interaction and, and cultural exchange, you know, if it's not that? I mean, it, it, right. surely there is a spectrum of, of, of conspiracy, and certainly there are, people are, are well within their rights to have different views of, of individual conspiracies, absolutely. But the idea mm-hmm. of conspiracy itself, I mean, let's break that word down, to conspire, to, to breathe together. To breathe you know? together, yeah. Uh, I mean, it, it, it is as fundamental as, as humanity itself. I think there's, it's, uh, there's no question that that is the basis of it. Um, and really, someone's uh knowledge and sure fact and and you know uh proven thing is somebody else's conspiracy theory you know i mean absolutely it it, it, it's very uh it isn't just a, a it's where subjectivity comes from in a sense that's what we when we say well that's just a subjective you know thing that's really what we're talking about is 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 this level of uh deciding about truth you know mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. but going well, the, you know back to that quotation so you know truth lies in the microcosm of individual flesh making all outward actions equally insufficiently true whoever wrote that and whoever mm-hmm. said that you know i love that and i think that something that we can tie this into in in our time is this idea of I don't. Okay, so let me back up for a second. I don't think there's any problem at all with people arguing until they're blue in the face with each other. I think that for something like a podcast, um, it's 
it's more generative to have people find what resonates with them rather than what they want to fight about. But fighting's part of it. You know, F- getting into an argument and having someone else win and you lose doesn't feel great, but it's kind of like sparring in that every once in a while you're going to get knocked out or you're going to get pinned. And it's all part of this this generative process that I think makes you a better person. So I think that one of the major uh, issues that we have right now is people's uh, inability to engage in these kind of sparring matches, the block button on Twitter or Facebook, the complete cutting off of the person who begins to espouse views that you don't agree with. And I've always... Um, taken the complete opposite approach to these kind of things. I am fascinated by people who see the world completely differently than I do, whether that's politically, uh, when it comes to issues of the paranormal, you know, whatever. I mean, I would consider myself for all intents and purposes, a pretty, uh, uh, left politically guy, but I engage, you know, almost exclusively in sort of right wing, Uh, podcasts and news articles just because I'm kind of fascinated by where these things come from. And I find when it all comes out in the wash, it usually gives me a more satisfactorily nuanced opinion about how things work and and how how people arrive at their different conclusions. It helps me function in reality, essentially. So yeah, I just, I I wish that people didn't uh, shy away from this kind of mingling of branches and, you know, taking something like MH370 and, you know, if if you believe the consensus opinion on this that is, uh, that I will link to in the, in the show notes um, over at The Atlantic, take a few minutes and uh, explore some of the wilder conspiracies. Really sit with the idea that that Boeing 777 disappeared into Don Lemon's black hole. You know, um, conversely, if you are a wild conspiracy theorist who thinks that aliens abducted uh, the the flight, read the entirety. I think it's about ten thousand words. Read the entirety of this uh, of this very level headed, uh, very well written article about how a depressed guy um, essentially decided to take himself and his entire plane out in one uh, very sweeping and dramatic gesture you know don't don't be um don't don't be scared of this thing i guess is what i'm trying to say well you know in a strange way this makes me think of well i'll try to re uh replay the uh the train of thought here uh if we when we do engage with any major news event that attracts conspiracy theories, for instance. Mm. I think there is a peculiar algorithm at work whereby there are only so many possibilities that come forward. There are usually, you know, there's there are some usual suspects, in other words. Uh, and I think that's interesting in a way that in a sense, our union collective unconscious has some limitations in terms of the imagination that we're able to apply to it. And, and yet the, the events can be, uh, it can be very, very different. And yet they circle around to, to having a same, a kind of a rubric that is the same. 
And so something mm-hmm. as, as big as a missing, you know, jetliner in today's day and age is very much like smaller little events that don't fit into it. Because who's to say if something small really is small, on what scale is that true? Uh, but I came across this list of, um, you know, we're, we're thinking in, in this segment particularly about the importance of, of anthropology, but, but doing it in kind of what we jokingly refer to as sort of a psychedelic way of, of some more lateral spiral thinking. But one uh, anthropologist who, who's worked in New Guinea who I really think is is a very, very fine writer, uh, looked up a list of, in uh, in one of the major uh, areas, a list of, of problems that have come before what now amounts to the courts or some sort of westernized judicial process. And this is, a, you know, in a culture that is so radically different, apparently, than ours, you know, mm-hmm. and we mm-hmm. we say these people have just emerged from the Neolithic era. Well, think about here. Are, here are the the cases that come forward or the causes: adultery, assaults, assassinations, murder, allegations of sorcery, cancellation on Twitter, land disputes, unpaid debts, insufficient dowries, lack of respect especially for the dead, theft, and acts of deceit. Well, you know, none of those seem that unfamiliar to me. Those seem to be no. exactly the kinds of things that, that our culture yes. has, you know. What's different? I mean, uh, our notion of sorcery is a little different, but I don't think that much different. Uh, so my point is that, that <clears throat> we have societies of people distanced by, well, halfway around the, the, the earth. And totally different experiences, and so different in so many ways, and yet they're not that different. And mm-hmm. our conspiracy theories about uh, anything—it's uh, pretty hard to be sort of uh, you know too imaginative to really break new ground with some idea that that just has totally not been thought of. I mean, I think that's an interesting challenge. Uh, and I've used that as a writing prompt of with uh, Flight 370. Um, say, you know, you discuss with a group of students, here are the main suggested possibilities, including Don Lemon's black hole mm-hmm. and all things mm-hmm. like it. Uh, come up with something else. And it's really hard. Yeah. I mean, there have even been conspiracy theories about this flight that the lithium-ion batteries somehow reacted with the mangosteens in such a way as to create a fire that asphyxiated everybody on board, which of course doesn't take into account the irregular flight pattern, et cetera, et cetera. But I mean, that's about as short of, you know, uh, I don't know, a revolt of the crew or something, but I'm sure that exists as well. I think it would be very hard to come up with it and then do some creative Googling, some Google foo to see if that already exists. It would be really hard to find one that doesn't. Well, I wonder to, uh, to what extent that the possibilities of, of such instantaneous transmission of ideas that Google and the internet have created 
to what effect that has uh, fired up and inspired uh, our creative capabilities worldwide in terms of uh, conspiracy theories or more neutrally in, in terms of explanations of events or to what extent has it retarded it because we mm-hmm. now exhaust the, the, the possibilities much faster. What do you think of that? I think that it goes, I think it depends entirely on the inclination of the person who's using the internet. I think the dream of the internet back in the 60s and 70s was that it would be this great democratizing force um, for knowledge and that it would be something that we could use to advance as a species primarily through the acquisition of forbidden knowledge, whether that's you know trading torrent files of ancient grimoires or simply having a counter narrative to what we hear on CNN and Fox News every single day. So I think that there are some people who have a kind of natural anti-authoritarian streak, if not that, just what I like to say for myself is a healthy distrust of people in power who tend to use the internet in that way to to try to um, find new ways of thinking about things. And, you know, the result of that, if we look at the conspiracy theory as a kind of metaphor, which the writer Charles, uh, Charles Eisenstein has done some really great work on, you know, I mean, I think that the conspiracy theorists, for the most part, have their heart in the right place when it comes to attempting to subvert and mutate the, you know, the kind of diktats that get, uh, you know, handed down to us from bureaucrats, right? Uh, alternatively, there are people, I think, who live a very frightened existence, um, who want in some sense to either return to a sense of normalcy or uh, maintain whatever sense of normalcy they have left and they are very capable, especially after things like, um, you know, how the internet has essentially been kind of shut down and corralled into a few, you know, sort of sources of information um, based on some fairness acts that have been passed. Uh, I think that they they can use it as this kind of source of uh, getting the official narrative uh, uh, very quickly and very definitively. So, you know, I think... I think that it all really depends on what you bring to your experience online in the first place. Well, you know, it's very interesting, that expression, the narrative. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, that's a, that is a very recent idea uh, in many ways. I mean, it, it, conceptually, it, it obviously is, is not recent at all. And it certainly dates back to to the beginnings of, of mass communications and official stories, and of course the New York Times uh, name of you know the paper of record, the newspaper of record, as if the only one you know that's the gold mm-hmm. standard of, of what you know reporting is. But now we have, uh, I mean, and, and there's there's quite a bit of of, of evidence about this when. Uh, psychologists and sociologists interview people about how they respond to the term narrative. I mean, it's more often than not with suspicion, with irony. Uh, it's not mm-hmm. at all mm-hmm. of like, well, that's they, they may in fact be uh, 
believing in certain narratives. They're not saying that they're, they're immune to that. And I'm not saying that. But if you just present people with the, the, the term narrative, what do you think about that? It's usually in terms of spin and rhetorical slant. Mm. And mm. the suggestion then is that one sees narratives only if one doesn't buy into them. But the narratives that you buy yeah. into, you don't see as narratives, of course. You, you don't yeah, apply that yeah. term. And I think that is a very peculiar position to be in. Um, it, it supports one of my theories that the beginnings of a real transition in modernity was the just atmosphere nature of irony of that going to a, a level mm. of just being in the air that we breathe being ambient noise mm -hmm. being so around us that uh, there was no question of, of, of herd immunity to it now we were all part of it and and then that has mutated into uh, to any number of other forms from deep suspicion to complete uh, well disengagement you know to the point of no I, I don't believe that at all you know the extreme form of, of but it, it's very odd how that has worked that narratives are something that we see when we don't fully buy into them but if we do then obviously they're not narratives they're the truth <laughs> right 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 well I would like to get really psychedelic here for a second so I would like everybody to pull up their beanbag chairs. If you have a bong, uh, smoke it, because I'm about to try to get weird with this. Okay, so <laughs> talking about narratives and how you only see narratives if you're not a part of them, I'd like to think about what it might look like to take some fun, performative, radical steps to attempt to de-narrativize day-to-day life. That might be fun, right? Mm. So think about somebody who lives in the woods, who has no computer, total Luddite, just, you know, exists on, on berries. There's this great guy, uh, River Dave, who was in the news recently, who- uh, Oh, yeah. Yeah, who's kind of made his life uh, by this river, you know, on this patch of land that I believe he owns, but that uh, has been taken away from him. And River Dave is just unflappable. And he says, well, you know, he's like, he'll still find a way to live in the woods. You can't stop him. But if you were to find one of these people who, who these wild men who live out in the woods and subsist on nature, and you were to ask them about how the world works, you might find a lot of interesting tidbits. Although, and this is my experience in the uh, tenuous connections that I've had to people with things like schizophrenia, you might not find very much in the way of coherence. What I mean to say is that you might not find very many overarching narratives to the way that they express themselves or what they actually believe about the world. Alternatively, people who are incredibly religious by the book, the Bible is a fantastic um, emulation of the human brain, and as such, it's full of contradictions. So coherence and uh, cohesive narrative can be a little bit hard to, to come by because of all the contradictory elements. So 
What if there was a way to begin to think about, meditate on, and internalize completely sort of piggybacking off of what you were talking about with your with what you might do with your students, right? Of like trying to come up with a whole new uh, uh, way of conceptualizing what happened to this flight. But what if there was a way to to cobble together in an almost collage-like nature um, alternative points of view on any given subject to the point of near incoherence and to have that be adopted as your perspective on a particular issue, right? You have rejected all narrative by combining them all, you know? <laughs> so you have this really depressed guy, right? And he has been planning uh, to, 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 you know, to fly this plane into the ocean for several months. But then he starts thinking about mangosteens and decides that he's going to actually quit being a pilot and instead move to Thailand and become a mangosteen farmer. And while he's there, he's uh, called back into action because for whatever reason, a flight has gotten sucked into a black hole in a parallel dimension and has arrived on his doorstep. And it's the it's the flight that he was going to crash. So you see what I mean here? I have no yes. ending to this. I'm, ra I'm rambling. But if yeah. you created that and adopted it, it might start to do really cool things to the way that you think about stuff. Well, you know, it, one phrase that comes to mind out of this, if you were to, you know, take that idea as, as a series idea, uh, a conspiracy of small details is a phrase that I have always loved. And um, you, you made me think that, you know, one of the... Um, the attractions to conspiracy theories as a kind of folk religion. And I mean this as, a, as an orientation in the world, not any one specific conspiracy theory, whether it's about Flight 370 or JFK's assassination or whatever. I mean, what is appealing to people about conspiracy theories? It seems to me that the, the hinge is that Someone knows the answer somewhere. The answer is mm. known. It's a question of who knows it. And so you, you want to be in that inner circle of, of people who, those are the, the mysterious magicians who control the everything. But yeah. the assumption is always, isn't it, that let, let's just entertain the idea that, that uh, the mystery of Flight 370 is according to Occam Razor's principle, the simplest explanation being the best, that yes, uh, Captain Zahari did act willfully uh, in some frame of mind to do what he did and crash the plane somewhere we don't know where. Mm -hmm. And he did that as an act of, of suicide and the fact that it was mass murder on top of that well you know there are examples of that so as, as strange and as difficult as that is to swallow it's very hard for me to swallow that but isn't the assumption that that everything went according to his plan you know mm. 
And mm. that could that may not be true at all. And maybe his plan was a confusing bunch of things. And I think that's mm-hmm. one of the I, I like about your idea of kind of collaging and kaleidoscoping a whole range of possible explanations and somehow dealing with them dimensionally rather than a linear flat sequence of, you know, X equals Y, you know, when we know mm-hmm. that's probably not the way things work out. I mean, nothing almost works out like that, you know, mm-hmm. driving mm-hmm. around the corner to Seven Eleven might not work out like that. So maybe we do need this deeper, weirder, uh, inherently psychedelic approach. Maybe that's the only way to cope with things today. Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, why did pieces of this flight wash up in Mozambique? Well, the answer is because tax day typically falls on April 15th every year. What? What is he talking about? What does he mean? Yeah. I don't know. What, what does that have to do with anything? You know, a, absurdity, a little dada, uh, some collage, all of that together. Uh, who knows? Maybe you'll go insane. Maybe you'll lose your grip on reality. But that's one of our bugbears, isn't it? The idea of reality. What is well, real? And maybe those pieces of wreckage had nothing to do with that flight. I, I don't accept mm-hmm. they are. And, and this makes me... Mm-hmm. Think of uh, I, I happened to uh, rewatch the treasure of the Sierra Madre the other night. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the greatest mm-hmm. films supposedly of all time, mm-hmm. one of Humphrey Bogart's most famous films, and a pretty interesting film. You know, in many ways, it has some good things going for it. But at a crucial moment, night scene. You know, here we are out in the high mountains of a high desert, the Sonoran Desert. Uh, and what do we hear but a kookaburra? Mm. And now oh. I, li- I used to mm. live around kookaburras in Australia all the time. They're a big kingfisher and they have been stand-ins as bird sounds for jungles and rainforests. And they're, they have nothing to do with jungles and rainforests, but they certainly have nothing to do with uh, the Sonoran Desert Mountains, the nothing, nothing at all. And I thought, wow, you know, how many times have we watched movies and heard that sound and just go, oh, yeah, that's exotic. You know, that we know psychologically what it's meant to say. But mm-hmm. I think a lot of, of, of so-called reality is, is that kind of thing in the modern age where little details slip past us and upon mm. those frameworks, we construct, you know, bigger realities of untruth. And then we wonder if, if they are, in fact, realities. Maybe they're not true, you know? Well, no, of course they're not, because they're based on a whole lot of uh, little things that mm-hmm. have nothing to do with, with uh, high desert, you know, environments. Yeah. Yeah, At, sorry to take such a left turn here, but it just came to mind. My friend was on an airplane recently and watched The Treasure of the Sierra Madre, and there's a scene where they're talking about what they would do once they were, were rich. Mm-hmm. And I guess one of the characters says that, you know, he doesn't he doesn't care what happens as long as he has a nice woman with a little wiggle to her or whatever. Yeah. And my friend informed me that on the 
in-flight version of this uh, movie, they cut that out. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, planes themselves are not the only thing that are going missing on flights here. You know, oh, absolutely not. Absolutely well. not. And and you know, I, I one of the uh, I'm a sucker for a few kinds of tabloid stories. I love plastic surgery gone wrong stories, but I love <laughs> all of the airplane disputes. Have you seen mm-hmm. the flight attendant, the, the black dude who duct taped the crazy guy in his seat? Yeah. I mean, oh. have you seen? Oh, there's this great comedy that, you know, if it wasn't so politically incorrect, I, th- I think people would find it much more hilarious. But there is a man with Tourette's. I don't know if you've ever seen this video, but he's uh, he's a white guy with face tattoos and he wears a Burger King crown, um, a really disturbed guy who whenever he is around black people, he can't help himself but to say the N word. Right. And he's trapped right now in Jamaica and he can't get out because every time he gets on a flight it's full of black people and he just you know his Tourette's kicks in and he just starts saying it and every single time he gets kicked off the flight it's That's so just hilarious so wonderfully absurd oh dear yeah, yeah. Well, I think that that's a good place, as well as good as any, I suppose, to wrap this up. I think that we brought the No Country spin to this. I'm really pleased with how it's gone so far. Um, Would you like to do the practical tip and and dream? I hope there's a dream. I always hope that there's a dream. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there is. There is. Uh, But I want to earmark or trail mark... uh, something for next time and we'll okay. just use the code river dave because mm. uh, that's uh you just clarified something for me about uh, a, a a train of thought and a train of associations which i think is so important uh when we can gain a little insight into why we thought of something and you revealed something to me, I won't forget it. I'd like to start off next time about that, the river Dave phenomenon, because it, it, it's a very interesting little synchronicity and it just is an example of how conversation and interaction with people can really reveal some thought patterns that we have that might otherwise just be mysterious. And it's something that I was thinking of that I had no idea why I thought of it uh, is related to River Dave. So we'll we'll start that next time. And I think that that will tie into a couple of, of different uh, big uh, issues. We've got uh, some exciting topics coming up for our part one segments. And I, I don't think we want to advertise those too fully because they're uh, well, they're they're just there are a lot of them and they're very exciting. So we'll get to practical tip if we could. I was thinking about pressure. A couple yeah. of people have talked to me about pressure. Everyone's under pressure, 
And I've uh, I've been acquainting myself, uh, reacquainting with with going diving again in Lake Mead because, as I mentioned in part one, that levels are down and some interesting archaeological things of lost airplanes and old Mormon uh, towns and you know who knows what's down there. Certainly skeletons, lots of interesting things in Lake Mead, mysteries of Las Vegas. But I've been thinking about pressure, you know, the reality of water pressure and atmospheric pressure and how that, you know, we, we use that term, I'm under pressure so, so often. Uh, almost everybody I know feels like they're under pressure. And then you ask them about what that is. And, and every time I think about that, it seems as if people are confused between the external source, because there's always got to be an external source. Otherwise, well, then it's a mental health issue, isn't there? You know, mm -hmm. uh, And stress mm -hmm. is, is a, a related idea. Notice how we use the word stress and pressure to refer to external causes, but also mm. almost instantly, sometimes in the same sentence, the experience, the psychological and physical uh, anguish of the pressure, the stress. Yeah. We, we can't keep those separate. There's category blurring even in the same sentence. And I had that conversation with a couple of close friends and family. It came up three times in just the last couple of days. And it occurred to me that no matter how you look at it, when you experience stress or pressure, no matter how legitimate the external cause may be, could be you know a new baby, could be a health problem, could be money problems, not saying that there aren't real causes. Let's get past that hurdle. But no matter how you position it, your psychological, physical experience is you somehow pinging that back to yourself somehow within your consciousness you're amplifying that you're retweeting it you're retweeting it that's my insight for the week we retweet the world to ourselves and just as on twitter we have a choice we really do have a choice we can't walk away from. We can decide what we retweet to ourselves, what we reinforce, and what we don't. And if our goal is to legitimize, to validate, to prove to ourselves and to other people that we are under special pressure, special stress, that our situation is particularly difficult, well, then that's what we're going to retweet. We're going to ping that back and we're going to prove it to ourselves. Mm. We are going to prove it in the court of our own heads and our own hearts and our stomachs. We're going to prove to ourselves that, yes, we are under more stress than anyone else. Mm. And I suggest that we can actually rewire that very simply. Really try to break down the difference between personal experience and physical cause there is a difference you know yeah. the burner on the stove is not the burnt finger there is a difference there is 
and blurring those categories. We've talked about uh, Gilbert Ryle's idea of, of category mistakes as being a fundamental part of communication errors. But I think they're a fundamental part of thinking errors and, and physical experience in life. And if we mm -hmm. really, really try to break that down, so be sensitive to words such as stress and pressure, where we use them to refer to external factors, but also sometimes in the same sentence, the personal experience of them. Mm -hmm. Try to take it, you know, get your hands on that. That's a way to take a to little me. bit more control. Yeah, it feels it feels like a very stoic idea to me. It is. It absolutely is. I think it's it's it, it's straight out of their playbook, and I think that they had some very good ideas. Um, they did. You know, it, it's certainly in terms of, of self management and and the practical nature of of gaining a little bit more sense of self control, self reliance, but to certainly not have those categories imposed upon one. You know, I think that that's mm -hmm. our our big concern in this segment is that just have a listen closely to the language and the impositions that are made by other people, society at large, the media, and, and try to have a little bit of uh, self-regulation uh, about that and, and thinking, well, I don't know if that, that really is true. I don't know if I'm feeling stressed for any real reasons. Maybe I've just had too much coffee and just am, you know, confusing nervousness and... Or maybe the cause is much deeper and I really am denying what the real nature of it is and I'm focusing on something to try to get an easy answer, you know, to something that's, mm -hmm. well, the big problem is it's not easy, you know. I think that's yeah. often what happens to us. Right. Excellent. I love it. It's great. Okay. Uh, so we're transitioning to dream time. I personally... Um, uh, unfortunately, this week could not remember any of my dreams, but I feel comfortable enough with the Patreon uh, paywall to admit that I have been waking up from dreams with absolutely raging erections. So whatever's happening, it's cool. Good. It must be cool, uh, but I can't remember any of it, and that's that's bothering me. Well, that means you're sleeping very well because the strongest erections actually do occur during sleep. And I think that's a very interesting part of, of not just a, a well, male psychoanatomy, the fact that a, a state of deep relaxation actually is, is synonymous with the strongest erections. There's an enormous mm. amount of, of, of physical evidence about that. And mm. that says something very interesting you know, about male sexuality, I think. Um, maybe yeah. you know a, a bigger topic to explore, but uh, well, that's a good feeling. I mean, how can yeah. an erection yeah. be anything but good? <laughs> yeah, no, no complaints. I'm sure every dude who's listening to this knows the feeling of when you're awake and you have a boner, and you kind of just like flex it against the bed. It's just it's a nice way to wake up, you know. Yeah, um, and it can be something that uh, well, it can be enjoyed, you know, at large. So <laughs> yeah, it's 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 not just for me, you know. Um, anyway, so you you uh, uh, you did you you had some some non erectile dreams? 
Well, I, you know, actually, I think uh, there are uh, moments where I think they are connected uh, with erections, but this one was more uh, something that I, I'm sort of wondering where it came from. I don't really have any idea, but it did. Uh, I, it woke me up uh, early enough to uh, get me just speaking into my recorder. And then I went back to sleep again. Uh, and that was a more exciting wake up the second time. But this dream was, uh, I was in a, a very large unnamed city, uh, not quite like New York, although where I ended up, the park was a little bit, imagine a sort of a composite of, say, Central Park, in Manhattan, uh, Hyde Park in London, maybe, or the mm -hmm. Botanical Gardens in, in, in Melbourne. It was it was uh, a blur of things. But the key denizens were a group called the Tall Trees. Mm -hmm. And they had nothing to do with trees. They are techno-circus arts sort of performers. Uh, mm -hmm. moving about in these giant skeleton robotic units with uh, different characters uh, assigned to them. But the, the theater element was pretty loose in the sense of who these characters were. There was mainly just uh, the, the ability to move around in these bizarre uh, machine suits and interaction with the crowd so it's kind of an ongoing ritual um operatic combat uh but the crowd knew how to interact too so everybody's sort of part of this ongoing ceremony mm -hmm. and there's a lot of of just improvisation with the crowd but the deal was and i'm i was completely in the loop this is an example of a dream where the world was all of the history and everything was part of it. I was right up to, to speed on everything. And the, the big issue that, that being part of this troupe of, of robot circus performers uh, or working within robotic costumes, giant robot suits, is it was a licensed entertainment concession. And that was a, a big income earning thing in that time. So there was this big labor dispute between people who were specially trained and certified and licensed to be part of these performers and this group of freelancers. And everyone talked about them as if freelancers was capitalized, right? And they're trying to sort of get in on the action and they're doing their own kind of uh, garage style uh rituals to the side and detracting from the main certified deal. And so there's this war between the freelancers and the tall trees. And everybody has an opinion about it. You're either for or against, very polarized. So very much like today about so many issues. Um, the freelancers had originally been ridiculed with a symbol, and I love this, it was based on popsicle sticks glued together, okay? Mm. A suggestion mm. of like haphazard, slapdash, lack of skills and finesse. But 
in beautiful dream logic, they'd taken this symbol of ridicule on board and had turned this into a rallying point and a rallying cry, making it their own. And their counter depiction of the supposedly professional tall trees people, they depicted them in terms of this really brutal-looking precision screwdriver. So that was the two images of these popsicle sticks that suggested, you know, amateur, do-it-yourself, nothing, you know, sort of the crystal radio book versus really severe, professional, uh, anal, retentive, control, fascism. And... I was very much on uh, the side of, of the freelancers because I thought the Tall Trees performances had fallen off. And mm. I was got involved in this big um, voting election thing. And it was at that point in the dream that I finally, and this is sort of the point of it, I think, I finally checked out what I was wearing which is a good idea, <laughs> you know, don't yeah, let big right. issues in the world completely detract you from what you're actually wearing. Because I was wearing a jacket that was completely covered with broken baby doll arms. They were affixed oh to the whole jacket. And I hadn't noticed that up to that point. <laughs> And mm -hmm. I remember making a mental note to myself within the dream, sort of a sign of waking up, I think, that I really got to pay more attention to what I'm wearing. But the last thing I thought was, God, I'd really like a jacket with broken baby doll arms. I think that'd be wild. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, so, that would be pretty sick. Yeah especially to wear to a reading or something. I feel like that kind of theater really needs to come back to the reading in general. Um, Some you know, there theater, was, for God's sake, yes. I mean, even just wearing a suit, Grant Morrison had his, uh, you know, his white Tom Wolfe suits that he would wear, and it really separated him from other comic book writers who kind of dressed like shit. You know, there was this sort of uh, nerdy comic book guy, uh, cartoon or band t-shirt and jeans look. And Grant Morrison, you know, handsome guy, you know, completely bald, Mr. Clean head and these, you know, white linen suits. I mean, you, you'll really stand out if you do something like that. And I think that there are a few writers I can think of who have good fashion sense and kind of stand out after uh, above everybody else. But a lot of a lot of writers just look like shit, you know, <laughs> in well, every sense yeah. of the word. Yeah, or, or I think they're, you know, it, it's so easy to go sort of cartoonish and to kind of, to have mm -hmm. a uniform that becomes, I mean, if you're going to go for one thing, uh, it's got to be pretty interesting. And you've got to decide, you know, can you pull that off? I mean, is that really, you know, is that going to be your thing? It's, it's a tricky deal, but certainly a little mm -hmm. bit of sense of design and style yeah yeah for sure mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. whether it's baby doll arms or you know maybe something not quite uh as clunky as that not quite you know? so loud yeah <laughs> well great good dream good tip that'll do it for us today folks chris did you want to leave with any with any thoughts before we go here 
No, I think we've covered some interesting ground. I, 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 I do. Uh, I, I am excited to pursue uh, at the start of, of next segment uh, this River Dave idea because it is a it's it's a kind of a trivial example of, of how associative patterns work. But on the other hand, I think it's it's emblematic. Of, of something much bigger because you you without any uh, knowledge at all on your part you you help me to see a, a, how a, a very peculiar pattern of thought may have developed and I wonder if we can uh, work from that to a bigger aerial view yeah. idea of how mm-hmm. not only individual thought patterns form but but maybe cultural thought patterns. Excellent. Well, cool. We will pick it up there then. Thanks to our patrons for subscribing to this podcast. We really appreciate it. And we will see you guys next time. Take care, everyone. Thanks for your support.